Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 15. I'm Steve Kwan. Hey, I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. Today, we're going to kind of take it back to where it all began, uh, something that we've talked about in a lot of prior episodes, but we've never really explained in depth are force vectors and leading edges. I believe in some of the earlier episodes, you probably heard Matt talk about these specifically, and he talked about the importance of identifying the force vector and countering it and identifying the leading edge. It occurred to us that it would probably be good to spend a bit of time talking about this stuff and explaining how this lines up with some of the concepts we've discussed earlier, in particularly what this means relative to alignment as a whole and what this means relative to some of the core mechanics like frames, levers, and wedges. So Matt, to start off, maybe you can just go through this really quickly. What is a force vector? I, I know that I've heard Rob mention this in his videos, and I'm, I've seen his explanation of it. But in your words, what is a force vector and why is it important? I mean, essentially, a force vector is just um, addressing the direction of force. So if, let's say, I'm in a bottom guard position, um, the force vector is, you know, where is the mass uh, traveling towards and what, and what angle is it traveling towards me at? So... Um, Identifying the force vector is very important because you're essentially going to know need uh, need to know where to block and where to create space to allow you to manage your guard properly. Um, and uh, as I possibly mentioned before, uh, guard is is essentially a range management tool. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's much like your jab if you're striking. It's going to help you uh, maintain a safe distance between you and your opponent, even if your opponent is in your guard. Um, you know, there are very small distance battles that are constantly going on um, and you're fighting for uh, frames and control of levers. So <clears throat> if you can manage that distance, you're going to be able to stay safe on the bottom. And uh, a big part of that is uh, by addressing which in which direction the force is coming at you and then uh, and, um, you know, uh, setting an appropriate frame. So when you talk about force vectors, you're, you're not talking about the, <clears throat> the amount of force necessarily that's coming, or that's coming at you. You're talking about the, the vector in the scientific sense, meaning the, the angle and the direction, right? So that's it's, correct. it's not about whether your opponent is a hundred pounds bigger than you. It's about what is the exact angle that that force is coming at so that you can counter it at exactly the same angle. Yeah, and an important thing about addressing force factors is you want to set a, an appropriate frame that will help you manage that force factor and you want to you want to basically identify what we call the leading edge mm -hmm. and the leading edge is uh, the closest part of my opponent's body that is going to be affecting my posture structure of base um, you like for instance a knee on belly right the mm -hmm. the shin or the knee is going to be the leading edge <clears throat> so it wouldn't make sense to 
um, block your opponent's torso when their knee is dropping on top of your abdomen, for example. Um, and it's important to understand that to properly deal with force vectors, we need to have base. So, uh, for instance, if something is driving down upon, you know, my body at a 90, uh, sorry, a 45 degree angle, I would need to have a, uh, a frame set and then a post in the opposing, uh, in, in the, uh, on the, how should I say, in the opposing direction at the same angle that the force vector is driving at me. So that might mean my foot is going to be in base or I'm going to get up, build base to my elbow and my hand. And that's going to allow me to actually support myself and then eventually lead to like a hip escape movement or some other type of distance creating movement that's going to allow me to manage the distance. So the idea is like if something heavy is kind of leaning on you, and in this case, your opponent, but you know, if you're trying to prop something up, you can't have whatever it is that's propping something up being at an awkward or weird angle because then it's just going to collapse under the weight, right? The only way to support a significant amount of weight is by directly meeting that that incoming force at exactly the same angle, right? And similarly, meeting it with a solid structure, not a squishy and weak structure, yeah. right? So to the best extent possible, you know, you want to make sure that however you're framing against the guy, whether it be with your, your hand or your elbow or your leg, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're not doing so in such a way that your leg is going to be easily collapsed or your wrist is going to fold back on top of yourself or something, right? That's right. And if you can see where the force is coming from, or you can predict where that force is going to be going and uh, set up a frame and then an opposing post that's going to allow you to to stay in alignment and be able to move your body as opposed to just sitting there and trying to frame with your arms and you know eventually gravity is going to take its toll your your opponent's probably going to win that battle mm -hmm. if you don't get up into base and start hip escaping and moving um, <clears throat> and also it's important to realize that uh, as your opponent is attacking you, there's a chance that they might be moving around your body, changing the force vector, in which case uh, a frame that you set and a, a post that helps you uh, address the force vector, it, it might need to change. So you, you might need to actively post, constantly get up, you know, you get build base to your elbow, your hand, start moving that elbow and hand uh, depending on where your opponent is going because force vectors aren't stationary. They're going to move depending on, you know, where your opponent's going to drive in upon you. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting thing that I noticed when I was watching Rob's video, Rob Bernanke's video on this topic. He met, he has a section where he discusses this in the BJJ formula series with Stefan Kesting. And Stefan asks him at one point, you know, when you're, when you're posting to, you know, you're create, you're matching the force vector and you're framing against that incoming force. You know, if you're using your, your arm, are you better off using your elbow or are you better off like actually straight arming the guy away? And I mean, I guess the answer is it kind of depends on the situation and on the comfort level. I've always found personally, I prefer to frame with my, like my, my forearm rather than straight arming simply because I find that it's way easier for the other guy to change the angle and collapse my arm if I'm straight arming. Whereas now this isn't a universal rule. There are times when straight arming is okay, but generally I find I'm safer if I'm like using more of my elbow and my forearm to block rather than using my arm out straight. It's just a, to me, that's less of a solid structure unless you're really heavily anchored onto the guy when you got your arm out straight. Whereas using your elbow and your, your forearm or, or conversely, if you're talking about your legs, you know, using your shin and your knee, that's a, that's a much stronger structure in most cases than like pushing with your hand or your foot. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, uh, essentially what we're comparing here is, you know, your, your the end of the lever, your hand 
hand or your mm-hmm. foot versus your shin or your forearm, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's pros and cons to both. If you're going to straight arm with your hand, you're going to have more uh, more distance because mm-hmm. you're using the length of the lever. But if you're using your shin or sorry, your forearm, then you're going to be uh, you're going to actually have a larger surface area frame yeah. as well because generally it's going to be mm-hmm. you know uh, a frame that runs across rather than an uh, outstretched. Uh, lever. So but you've given up a good amount of distance because you're not fully extending your arm or your leg. So it's a situational trade-off. That's right. And essentially, they're different range frames. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Ryan Hall puts this really well. He, he uses the analogy of weaponry and he talks about how you know, your foot being a frame is like a long range frame, uh, weapon, like a sniper rifle. And then your shin is more like a shotgun. It's a closer range frame, uh, just to, just to put it in a, in a different analogy and, um, to just illustrate his point. And like you said, you know, you, if your opponent redirects your, your stiff arm, then you don't really have a, you know, he might break your structure by occupying the space in your armpit right away. But if you have your elbow and your forearm as a frame, it might be harder for your opponent to mm-hmm. redirect that lever out of the way and and start finally breaking your structure, getting access to your yeah. torso. So both have pros and cons and both definitely have their place when it comes to guard retention. Yeah, it, it kind of, you know, the, the way I like to think of this, you know, because this comes up a lot, like should you frame against the guy with your, your elbow and your forearm or should you do it with, with your hand? It, the way that I like to think of it, we talked earlier about limb coiling, like how you never want to expose too much of your arm or your leg unless you're doing so with a really good reason, uh, you know, to generate force against your opponent. And you you are confident that by doing it, you're doing it in such a way that you're not giving up the end of the lever, right? So like if I'm, if I'm trying to, you know, if I reach out towards Matt, if I'm going to like push him away with my hand, I'm only going to do that in situations where I know I'm pushing him in such a way that he can't just grab my hand because I don't want him to like grab me and arm drag me. You know, the, uh, the example that I give a lot of the time is, you know, there's, you know, the side control escape where you get your hand in the guy's armpit and you straight arm him away. Um, you know, the first time I saw that, I thought, well, that doesn't look very defensible. But I realized, you know, well, the thing is, if you're doing, you're straight arming the guy in his armpit at such an angle that he can't grab your arm and armbar you or anything. You know, you're, it creates an awkward angle that keeps your arm safe, even though you, you've straight armed. And that's the way I like to think about, you know, how you manage range when you're dealing with guard. I will only ever straight arm or straight leg the guy if I know I'm doing it in such a way where I can keep control of my hand and my foot. Like an, an example of where it's safe, you know, Delaheva guard, you can kick your leg out a little bit because your foot protected behind the guy but you would not want to like just like put your foot on your opponent's hip and leave it there unless you're controlling a sleeve or something to prevent him from grabbing it so that's the way I I like to think of it like if I know I can push straight out and still keep my levers then I feel a lot better about it than otherwise but if I don't think I can do that then I prefer to frame with my forearms and with my shins yeah a big part of of Rob's um philosophy and and now by osmosis my philosophy is denying your opponent uh the access to your levers right your hands and your feet um if you give up the ends of your levers to your opponent levers levers are just force multipliers so they're going to be able to manipulate your body in a lot of different ways so it's it's very important uh in all aspects of jiu-jitsu whether it's open guard or um you know controlling from the top or leg entangling it's very important that you gain access to your opponents the ends of their levers so you have control of their limbs and you deny them access to your levers yeah and and especially when you're framing you got to be careful about you know giving up that control 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, the, you know, the other thing, too, is a lot of the time when you're defending a guard pass, you know, if the guy is, is really motion based, which is going to be the case at a high level, you have to be careful when it's sticking out like your wrist or your foot because bad things can happen. Right. Uh, you know, as an example, I very rarely frame and push with my hand against my opponent's hip because I've just had bad experiences where, you know, you, you push on your opponent's hip to keep him away and then he hip switches and you wrist lock yourself and it can happen so fast. Right? Yeah, because your your wrist is uh, a lever in itself, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a small lever at the end of your arm. So, so if you're framing with your the palms of your hands and your fingers, which is honestly our natural reaction, mm-hmm. um, yeah, any any type of uh, hip switching action or falling body weight could could be pretty dangerous for your hand. Now, mm-hmm. if you instead if you if you try and frame with the uh, you know where where the edge of your pinky finger runs down your wrist onto your forearm, that is more of a uh, I don't know if a, it's not really a blunt edge, but mm-hmm. it's a safer edge because it doesn't. You can't collapse your, your wrist. Can't that way. collapse your wrist as much. So I think that that's definitely yeah. something to think about because accidents do happen, right? It's, uh, and and keeping yourself safe and knowing these little ins and outs are really valuable pieces of information as you. Uh, you know, longevity is sort of one of one of the main goals of a of a regular practitioner in jujitsu. Yeah, and another thing we've talked about force vector so far. Now, just to recap this, when we say force vector, we're basically saying when your opponent is trying to come towards you, you want to identify the exact direction that they are, that the force is coming in at, and you want to meet that at the exact same angle with a frame, right? So the idea, you know, a common example is like if your opponent is trying to do like a a matador pass or something, and he's like, that shoulder is coming down towards you, you would meet that shoulder head on. Now, the other part of this equation when you're figuring out the force factor is the leading edge. So the explain to me, Matt, exactly what we mean when we say a, a leading edge. Like when, when Rob says find the leading edge, what exactly does that mean and how does that relate to a force vector? Yeah, so again, leading edge is just it's it's the closest part of my opponent's body that is affecting my posture structure or base. So, you know, if I'm getting if I'm inside or someone's on top side control and they have a cross face heavy on me and they're breaking my posture with their arm. Uh, the leading edge is essentially their shoulder or their arm. And um, if I try and bench press them off of me or push their hips away from me while they have a strong cross face, I'm basically, I'm basically saying, okay, I'm going to eat this cross face and I'm going to try and, you know, push you away. It's not mm-hmm. the smartest way to deal with, with a cross face. It would be better to try and rebuild frames, pummeling your hands to the inside. You know, you might have to bump a few times to create the space. And then if you can, you know, uh, answer the phone, some people call it, or, or just get in between the cross face and your own face with uh, a frame, that's going to allow you to free up your posture and then, and you'll have some more ability to move. Or another example is if you're getting, you know, your opponents in like a half guard and they're setting up a knee cut pass, um, even it, depending what kind of the knee cut, knee cut pass they're doing, they might be doing the kind where their head position is very low and they're starting to drive through with the Pez dispenser where their head is underneath your neck and they're really crushing your face on the ground. In this case, their head is the leading edge. Um, and you're going to want to address that head as the leading edge. There might also be other times where, you know, they're grabbing your, your collar and your sleeve and then they're posturing up and knee cut passing, which is completely different, right? And in this case, 
uh, it's not going to do you too much good to frame on the knee because you've given up sleeve and collar grip. So in this case, the leading edge, you're going to want to actually address your opponent trying to gain control of the end of your wrist because, you know, we've all been knee cut past before. If you're on the bottom and your opponent's grabbing your wrist uh, of your free arm and also your um, <clears throat> lapel, they're taking you out of base by pulling high up on your sleeve and your and your lapel and you're basically not even able to frame at all because you've given up the end of your lever so um a little bit tough to follow when it, when we're not uh, visually looking at these situations but just know that a force vector is essentially where is the pressure coming from how can i address that pressure and how can i get into base so that um when i create a frame i don't just collapse over but that i have something behind me to support mm-hmm. me so is the the leading edge so this is basically like the part of your opponent the, kind of like the breech head like the part the part of your opponent's body that is wedging its way through That's so that right. pro- probably the most obvious example is if someone's trying to do like a knee cut pass like you know like you said if, if the guy's postured up you know it's probably going to be the knee if, yeah. he's, if he's leading with his head it's going to be his head That's right. so these are examples of where it's easy to identify the leading edge is the leading edge always where the force vector is coming from like it sounds like these two things are very closely related essentially yeah the basically and that, and that's where you want to concentrate your your frames right rather than me just trying to frame a large surface area of, of, of my opponent's body i would be smart to uh, identify that that leading edge in the force vector and then concentrate my framing ability on that area uh very and and also have like we've keep reiterating having a supporting wedge in the or sorry a supporting post in the exact same direction which is going to help essentially prop us up and and we're going to be propped up by our posture so it's very important let's say uh, my opponent is just double legged me and they're trying to pass my guard they're they're grabbing my torso very tight with both arms and they're trying to go around my guard Um, Marcelo Garcia has an excellent collar tie series where he sets a like a gooseneck collar tie and then his other hand gets up into base it's very important that when you do this, um, you know, you're, that your 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 goal is not to get a sweep. It's not to get a submission. It's simply just to create space, right? Your the collar tie, all it does is create your opponent, uh, create distance between you and your opponent. From there, we can look to get our hips up and out of the way, and um, and it's very important to also maintain, of course posture this whole time because if you have a collar tie and with one hand and then your other hand is based on the ground if your posture is not set properly you're going to collapse exactly uh, mm-hmm. and and there, you're not going to have any integrity with your spine so it's very important that your posture is always a strong support between your two uh between your frame and between the post which is supporting you yeah and you, the opposite of this is if you're the guy on the attack the thing you need to understand is when your opponent does this to you, you know, when they put up a frame that you just can't get around, you know, common example being like you're trying to pass and your opponent puts up like a knee shield and you just can't get through it. The the thing you don't want to do is just try to keep driving yeah. through the knee shield because you're, you're dry, you know, your opponent has already matched your force vector. They've already created a frame and you're just running into the frame. You're doing exactly what your opponent wants you to do. What you need to do is change the angle to go around the frame and to weaken the frame. Yeah. So this is kind of like a common mistake that happens a lot. If you get stuck in a position like this where your opponent has a frame and you just can't get through it, you should think about what's happening. And what you'll probably realize is if you can change the angle, it it will either weaken the frame because he's not able to match your force vector anymore, or you can sometimes just go right around the frame completely if you have enough mobility from your position. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the time when I'm trying to do the knee cut pass from the top and I just can't even... 
um, get through the, uh, like, get anywhere with because they have such a strong knee shield. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is I like to usually grab the bottom leg and try and change the angle of his hips so that I'm entering almost a headquarters position or even backing out of the guard completely, which which essentially just makes makes your opponent reset their guard entirely. Um, they have to address the fact that you're creating this space between them. And a lot of the time that'll open up a lot of different flow passes or movement-based passes based upon their reaction. So uh, definitely if you get stuck in a position like a knee cut pass and you don't know how to go to go around your opponent's guard, change up the distance, change up the the, uh, the angles and, and try and get around those frames rather than driving right through them. Yeah, and a related concept to this when we're talking about leading edges, when you are being attacked by your opponent and there's a strong leading edge, like, the, you know, an example being the shoulder of justice from side control, you know, your opponent has you pinned and they're driving all that weight into you with their shoulder, you probably want to focus all of your efforts on dealing with that leading edge rather than trying to spread out your efforts all over the place. You know, I've seen a lot of like really funky, weird side control escapes where, you know, you you stick one hand out and you grab the guy's hip and then you stick the other hand out and you grab the, you know, like you're kind of like stretched all over the place. And these are, I find are not really that effective, you know, whereas, yeah, whereas if you've got a guy with strong shoulder pressure, the most effective thing to do is bump shrimp and get, you know, ideally two hands against that shoulder or that bicep, right? And that will usually significantly reduce your opponent's ability to control you. Uh, So, the important thing is once you know that that leading where once you know where the leading edge is that really should become the focus of your defense rather than trying to you know stick your hand out on the hip if the hip's not the leading edge or reach around and grab another arm if that's not the leading edge um the leading edge should be your focus when it comes to defending and getting back to a more stable position yeah and i see some some practitioners that are either beginners or they have non-conventional ways of retaining guard mm-hmm. if if your opponent's passing your guard and your answer is to try to tie them up by like creating structures around them like you know doing funky things where you're opening your arm and like uh essentially trying to trap them inside your arm and leg positions rather than pummeling your arms on the inside and creating frames it's not going to be an efficient way. You're trying to wrap your arms around someone. You're essentially pulling them on top of you and you're breaking your own structure. So you're, you're almost always going to be in a better position if you can actually keep your arms and legs uh, tethered to your body, mm-hmm. trying to create a knee elbow connection, move your, like Steve said, move, you know, bump and shrimp in small increments until you can create a little bit of space and then use your frames to make, uh, make space as opposed to, you know, so, like somebody's on top of you and you're grabbing them, collect, you know, clasping your hands behind their head or around their torso. That's generally something that's going to lead into even worse positions down the road. It's going to be way less efficient and you're exposing your own levers for attacks. Yeah, I, I a mental model that I like a lot is thinking about defending with purpose, right? It is it is not sufficient, in my opinion, to you know, shell up as a defense and just kind of hope that that's going to be good enough and your opponent's going to leave you alone. And a lot of these, those kinds of techniques where you like grab and wrap your arms around the guy and try and hold him there or where you just kind of like shell up, these are temporary defenses at best. They're really not effective because you're kind of just hoping that your opponent is going to give up beating on you. (laughs) And, And these are not good strategies. Everything you do should be with the specific intent of improving the position and getting back to a more defensible position. 
So if you are on the bottom and side control, yeah, it's not advisable to just sit there and shell up and do nothing. And it's not advisable to do, like Matt said, do like crazy stuff with your arms and legs and try to like entwine the guy from the bottom. Like because buggy choke? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like a, yeah, and, and guys, if, you're, if your guard is passed and you think you're going to submit a high-level opponent from bottom side control by, you know, wrapping your arm and leg together around them and trying to get a funky choke, like... Mm-hmm. You know, even if you do get them, that is not a reliable move that you can hit consistently. It'll work on on the lower rank guys in the gym, but definitely not on the at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And you should really be striving to see what works against guys at the highest level. And just you know, like get your guard back before you attack. Unless there is a few situations where. You know, you might be able to hit a Darce from the bottom or something. But mm-hmm. usually, even if those attempts fail, you at least get your guard back. Mm-hmm. So. You know, try and try and prioritize your game to always be in a good position, and that doesn't require hitting submissions from weird, weird situations like having your guard passed or trying to kimura someone with your guard passed entirely. You're going to end up getting countered and embarrassed in a bad way. Yeah, to to me, <clears throat> when it comes to defending with purpose, it it is okay to attempt a submission from the bottom as long as. It is part of your defensive strategy to advance your position, right? It, I, I don't like the idea of sitting on bottom side control or bottom mount and trying to sub the guy from there. But if you can safely attempt some sort of position in such a way that forces a response out of your opponent, uh, like Matt said, a good example is, you know, if you want to attempt the darts from the bottom and that gives you enough space that you can get out of there, well, that's not a bad thing. But at the same time, you know, these kinds of moves are often a little bit risky because attempting a mission from the bottom normally requires you to expose something and it it's not impossible but it's hard to do that in a way where you can be confident that you're going to stay safe uh you know there's a lot of sticking your arms and your legs out there and you don't want to do that when you're in a really really bad position so the most the most important thing is you don't want to have a defensive game that comes down to just like clinging on to the guy or staying in that bad position everything you do should be with the intent of getting out of there and usually the easiest way to do that is to identify and address the leading edge. Yeah. And if you're not thinking about your game, like when you're, you know, whether you're new or maybe you're not new, maybe you're a, a practitioner who just your instructor hasn't taught you sound fundamentals. If you're not thinking about prioritizing your game in positions um, and you're just looking to catch moves, it's mm-hmm. really not a sustainable way to practice jujitsu. You are going to get those spectacular catch moves where you're going to feel like a boss. But a lot of the time against high level guys, you're going to get your guard pass and then you're not going to be able to, to catch them in these, these funky moves. So think about the long term. The long term is having priorities in jujitsu and that's basing a game around positional control and positional dominance leading to submission. And that's, that's, you know, that's how the, the best grapplers in the world play their games. And I think that that's, that really is what jujitsu is managing distance and always staying in a better position than your opponent while breaking their alignment and maintaining your own. Yeah, this is what I call committed techniques. So the idea being if you're if you're doing moves that commit you to the point where you're losing position or you're missing opportunities to advance position, you might want to reconsider those moves or the way you're applying them. I, and you do see this a lot from the bottom where some people's defensive strategies generally involve kind of, you know, a very, very, very fluky stuff that ultimately isn't going to get out of 
there. You know, it, from, it is okay to attempt something weird and exotic from the bottom as long as you know you can do that in such a way that you're, you're remaining safe. You're not likely to get attacked. And as long as your intent is to actually get out. You know, what you don't want is to th- be that guy who's on the bottom and he throws up a Kimura from bottom side control and it doesn't work. And then you're still on bottom side control. And then you try again and it doesn't work and you're still down there, right? All you're achieving at that point is just burning yourself out while your opponent is tightening the noose. Yeah, or or another example, if you're doing a Kimura from bottom side control, your opponent can actually get up into base and, and turn it into an armbar. And yeah. I think one of the most famous examples of this is Marcelo Garcia versus uh, Diego Sanchez at ADCC. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's a crucial error, really, to try and go for these attacks when you don't even have a guard, right? The purpose mm-hmm. of a guard is to manage the distance and, and of course, to tether yourself to your opponent so that they can't make these large movements like stepping over and arm barring you or whatever it is. So, um, and, and that's one thing I got from Rob was he kind of, he really structured my game to, to be a lot more disciplined and a lot more positionally sound. And uh, when, when someone has issues passing your guard, you make, you make the fight a lot harder for them. So before I met Rob, I was thinking about, you know, attacking from all angles and, and being dangerous everywhere. But a lot of the time what that left me doing was leaving my arms and legs exposed and I was focusing on catching moves rather than guard retention movements. Um, and that was a big hole in my game until, you know, he introduced me to a lot of uh, his philosophies on guard and, and guard retention movements are some of the the most important things you can learn in jujitsu, because if you can't get your guard pass, like I said, uh, you're always going to be dangerous for your opponent and, and you're going to frustrate your opponent. So to quote Ryan Hall, you know, you should be as clinically boring as possible. And I love mm-hmm. that quote because uh, sometimes, and at the highest level, jujitsu can be boring at times, but that is kind of the, uh, the beauty of it, of the science is that two guys at such a high level are going to be canceling each other out so much that, you know, the naked eye or the layman can't even detect the little range battles that are constantly going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, th- that's a really good point, And I'm glad you brought it up, especially pertaining to the importance of maintaining a guard. You know, it, wh- one thing that you need to understand is that when you are applying a submission, even though it might look like you're using your hands, it is almost impossible to apply a submission without the use of your legs as well. Like, I mean, think about it. You know, can you, like an arm bar, for example, would be obviously not really realistic without the use of your legs, but even like a guillotine, right? Like if you were to just try and choke a guy and you see this a lot when, when people have side or, you know, have someone take side control on them. If you're on the bottom and you just try to guillotine the guy and you can't utilize your legs, there is nothing there. Uh, so that, that is really why it is so important to be able to maintain your guard because once your legs are taken out of the equation, it eliminates almost all submission opportunities. Um, I mean, it, it is still possible that you might be able to, you know, throw up a submission to make space, but you're not going to actually be able to submit someone until you're able to bring your legs back into play. It's so true. Like even thinking about a Kimura, like you might think, well, a Kimura is a two-on-one on on your opponent's arm getting sh- uh, shoulder rotation. But, but if you don't have your legs involved in that, w- whether your legs are going to be to trap your opponent's uh, torso and or head, or they're going to be to stay in base on your feet, you're not going to be able to finish that Kimura, yeah. right? Unless you're in transition going to the back or something with that Kimura, but let's say you're in bottom side control Kimura, mm-hmm. a very high, high chance you're going to get countered. 
It is possible, though, but... It requires your opponent to literally sit there and not realize that he can just spin out of it. That's the thing, right? That's right. It either has to be surprising or maybe the person on the bottom has, like, a huge strength advantage. But even with a big strength advantage, like, if I'm on top of you in side control and you try to Kimura me, the only thing that is going to allow you to apply that Kimura is me refusing to move. <laughs> like me me refusing to get out of side control and just sit there. I can quite easily spin out of that and armbar you. I can do a lot mm-hmm. of things. It, I mean, it is possible that if you catch me in the moment, you know, and I, I don't realize yeah, that, I might, just, I might just sit there and you might Kimura me um, or you might throw it on so fast that it, it catches me off guard. But these are not reliable or technically sound ways to deploy submissions, right? You don't, you're relying more on a dice roll than you are on actual sound technique. So, if you don't have your legs involved, you just don't have the control to effectively apply this stuff. Yeah, one of, one of the main one of the main answers that I have for people when they ask me how they think how can I improve my game, uh, like I'd say probably eight times out of ten, my answer has to pertain to guard retention, and that is because guard retention is essentially the bread and butter of jujitsu. It's like it's it's what sets jujitsu apart from other grappling arts is the guard and the, and and the the concept of a guard and maintaining a guard is is what keeps you safe essentially so um you know if if that's not a huge focus of your game and you're not spending a lot of time practicing your regarding concepts then you know you're probably missing out on some really valuable aspects uh to improve so definitely always try to prevent your guard from being passed before you start doing you know all these all, all these fancy looking chokes yeah you know as, as the old jiu-jitsu saying goes if if i don't lose i will eventually win right and it there's actually something profound to that right if your if your guard defense and retention is so good that you can keep in the game even against a far superior opponent you've always got a chance right but if you allow your opponent to pass your guard you're losing access to in most cases your legs right you're basically losing your most powerful weapons uh we talked in an earlier episode about how if you want to submit someone you have to do it with overwhelming force. You need to use every weapon at your disposal. And if your opponent passes your guard and your legs are no longer in the game and you're just trying to like reef on the guy's arm with just your own hands, that's not overwhelming force. That's, you know, in fact, against a much stronger opponent, that might you might not even be able to match their force two on one. In order to really effectively su- apply a submission, you need both of your arms and both of your legs. And that's why losing your guard is so bad in jujitsu because it basically takes away any realistic possibility of a submission because you've lost your most powerful weapons yeah there uh we've mentioned it before rob bernacki has a a four-part app called the bjj formula and one of the apps is a guard app and it just basically the majority of it, it it's it's not even necessarily techniques but the majority of it is concepts and uh guard retention movements and these are you know, really valuable concepts and movements that I think everyone should have. You could literally take it and, and use it, uh, as a curriculum for, you know, probably a whole year and have excellent guard retention at the end of it. Um, the guy really revolutionized the way that I look at guard and he has a bunch of awesome different exercises that he uses. So one of them is called fuck your jujitsu. And it's basically, you know, you, you basically folk, one person is focusing on guard retention and they're not allowed to get grips of their opponent. Person on top is allowed to pass the guard however they want. So mm-hmm. the person on the bottom really has to focus on just defensive movements yeah. and 
angling their hips in such ways that it makes it difficult for the person on top to um, <clears throat> pass their guard and they're not allowed to, you know, set, they, they set a handicap. So let's say the person defending guard is not allowed to uh, use grips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what that does is it forces them to, to focus on hip movement and, and framing and uh, guard retention movements. So that was a really valuable tool for me. Mm-hmm. And when I int- got introduced to that, it helped me help me really focus on the guard retention aspect and uh, not so much just gripping up and trying to hold on. Um, and, and, you know, another example of, of, uh, things that you want to do when you're maintaining guard is just having the proper hip position. So let's say you're getting leg dragged. You know, if you just, if you do what we call a top step where you try and take the free leg and circle it in front, you know, if, if you don't have the appropriate hip angle, your, your body is not in alignment of the force vector coming down on top of you. So you need to, you know, like, let's say you're going to top step, you need to change your hips at such an angle and get your hips up so that your posture is strong which is going to give your leg the support it needs to to mm-hmm. keep your opponent's weight off of you. Otherwise, your leg will literally crumple mm-hmm. because you're not in alignment. Yeah, which is actually a way that you can get injured, right? If you you're yeah. you're talking about the 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 movement where the guy is trying to leg drag you and you basically throw your free leg inside and try to push away, right? Yeah. So yeah, so the a mistake that can happen is if you don't actually reposition your hips, if you just try to throw that leg in, yeah. it puts your leg at a really awkward angle. And I've actually been injured that way. Yeah. By, because I didn't have enough hip elevation and my, the guy collapsed my leg and it actually tweaked my knee. That's so, right. So that's why it's so important to deal to get in your proper hip placement first before you start worrying about yeah. what you're doing with your feet. Yeah, because even though you are creating a frame with your, your free foot, like you said, and, and using your leg essentially as a frame, uh, the real frame is your posture, right? Like you said, if your hips aren't up, if, you're, if your back's not straight off the ground... Uh, your your leg is essentially useless and can't support mm-hmm. any weight. So it's important to understand that, you know, even when we talk about framing with your arms and legs, it really does come down to posture as equally important, if not more important, uh, when it comes to maintaining these frames. And especially when you got to make space, get up into base and, and get the hell out of there. I like the drill that you mentioned too, where you talked about how you're basically giving up the grip fighting aspect of the game and you're kind of just letting the other guy bypass that completely so you're already handicapping yourself. We talked in an earlier episode about how grips take dictate position. And basically, whoever gets the dominant grips is probably going to be the one who gets to dictate the position. So this is a really good defensive drill because it assumes you've already lost that fight. And then you're trying to re- recover your guard or, or at least maintain your guard and get back to a good position, having already lost the grip fight. That's a drill that we do at my school too. And, and And another drill I've started doing that I like as well is somewhat of the opposite of that. So what I like to do is basically have two guys spar from from guard and whoever gets the dominant grips immediately wins. There is no passing. Just as soon as you get the grips, you win and you have to reset. And these are both good drills because one of them teaches you to focus on the engagement phase, which is basically grip fighting. And the other one teaches you to focus on more of the the passing phase, which is, okay, the guy is, you know, actively trying to get past my guard. Now I got to figure out a way to maintain this having already lost the grip fight. 
And these are kind of different targeted areas that are very helpful to spar in. And it, it wasn't until a very advanced level that I realized that guard is not just one big like glob of things happening, but there are distinct phases of guard and you need to have different strategies at each level. Yeah, essentially what you're talking about is is uh, targeted sparring, but instead mm-hmm. of positional targeted sparring where it's like, you know, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to defend the back position or, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just going to defend from from bottom mount position. You're actually... Phase-based. Tar- yeah, it, it's it's conceptually targeted sparring. We're focusing just on grip fighting. Mm-hmm. We're focusing just on guard retention movements. And um, it, it, yeah, it's conceptual based. So that I think, I think is actually a lot more of an intelligent approach to... Uh, uh, training some of these areas of jiu-jitsu um, rather than just saying, oh, okay, now now you're going to defend bottom half. Okay, mm-hmm. go. Right? Yeah. And the, the thing about that traditional <laughs> method where you put someone in a position and you just go, it, it doesn't take into account that there are micro differences between those positions that can make a lot of actual distinction in practice. You know, an example is like from side control. I can be on the bottom in side control and feel relatively safe or feel absolutely terrible, depending on just very minor things, right? Like whether there's shoulder pressure against my head. Um, and so if you just go to side control, well, not every side control is the same. And there's probably a specific weakness in your game that you need to worry or worry about. And the problem about just focusing on a position is it encourages you to play play to the version of that position that you feel most comfortable in. Whereas if you target spar a concept or target spar a phase, it helps you focus on where your weaknesses truly are. So like as an example, you know, if you are, if you feel that, you know, you're, you're never actually taking the initiative at the beginning of the fight and you feel like the guys are already got the upper hand on you right out of the gate, that's probably an indication that you're having trouble with the grip fighting game in the engagement phase. So that's where kind of like a grip drill is very helpful. So you spar and hand start, fighting. Yeah, you hand fight. And basically instead of trying to pass, you're just, whoever gets their dominant grips, you immediately win. And you reset or the opposite is the uh, more of the maintenance phase that you talked about where you basically don't use grips you let your opponent bypass your basically bypass that and you you seed the engagement phase to him so that you can focus on sparring and working on your ma- your maintenance phase and then similarly you know you can also talk more more about the recovery phase where you're like completely passed and now you've just got to get back to guard yeah. that's something that i think most people are more familiar with because if you start from side control or from mount or from back mount you're basically starting from that recovery phase where you've already lost the position and now it's about getting back to a good place. Yeah, like a common question that beginners will ask you and and even some people that just aren't very knowledgeable with guard is they'll say, you know, what is a good side control escape? What is a good mount escape? And and the real answer is, okay, well, where did things go wrong? Did mm-hmm. did did things go wrong right from the get-go? Did you just get your guard passed like instantly or was it, uh, you know, you, you tied up for a minute and then all of a sudden your opponent passed your guard and then, you know, now we're here in side control because we, prevention is, is a lot better than cure, right? So mm-hmm. of course we need to be, we need to have guard retention movements that allow us to create space and, and eventually escape a position like side control, but really addressing where the problem went wrong and which phase of guard 
we lost the battle, that is going to give you uh, a, some more accurate answers as to how you can, you know, escape a position. And and there is no one escape, really, but more just guard retention movements and framing concepts that will allow you to create the space necessary to get a guard back. Yeah. And, and kind of tying this all back to the, to the core concept here, when you are trying to maintain guard. So if we say that there are three phases of guard, the first one is engagement, meaning basically who wins the grip fight. The second phase is maintenance, meaning, okay, I've lost the grip fight. Now I got to get back to neutral. And then the third one is recovery, meaning like I've lost the guard completely and now I got to get back. When we talk about force vectors and leading edges, I, I find that these are more useful at the maintenance phase. Like these are more useful when your opponent smells blood and he knows he's winning and he's starting to drive that weight towards you. So now what do I do? You know, you've got you got a lot of weight, you got a lot of force, and you're dealing with a bad position because your opponent, being naturally being on top, they have more mobility than you. So you've you've got the deck stacked against you at this point. And the idea behind a force vector is, you know, okay, I've got to know where this weight is coming in, and at the bare minimum. I've got to neutralize that weight. I can't just let him squish me. So the idea is you match that force vector, you set up a frame against your opponent, um, and you do that by finding the leading edge. So what, what is the, what is the first, what is the breach head of his body coming towards you? Is it his knee? Is it his shoulder? Um, is it even his, his head? head? Yeah, it's probably going to be very common, I yeah. find, especially with pressure based passes. Yeah, or, or low passers. Like I do, I do a lot of low passing, not, not because I'm particularly pressure based. I mean, I'm not a big guy, but I find for me, low passing works well because since I'm usually so much lighter than my opponent, a lot of the time, if they get a good grip on me, they can literally just throw me even though they're on the bottom. I thought I like to pass really low because I just find it makes it way harder for them to do that. And that usually means I'm kind of using my head as a battering ram. That's kind of the, like the prying wedge I'm using to open them up and to get past their guard. Mm-hmm. And and of course, if you're in bottom side control and you've lost the uh, uh, you're in phase three of guard, so your guard is passed. It's important to understand that you can use wedges to create space as well. So yeah. uh, depending on how your opponent's controlling your head or or, or your posture, or whatever, sometimes you can use your elbow as a wedge, which leads to stronger frames. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you're answering the phone, for example, or you know, you need to create space and between your opponent's arm and your own face. So Definitely understanding where the pressure is coming from and addressing that area specifically is going to be taking you on the right path to retention, even though in that situation, it's kind of, it's going to be a bit of a battle, right? Mm -hmm. So like I said, ideally we want to address where the problem happened earlier Mm -hmm. in the, in the guard retention battle and how can we prevent that from happening, happening in the future? Yeah, I think it would actually be good at some point in the future to even have just separate discussions about each of these phases. I think we could deep dive into just the engagement phase, just the maintenance phase, just the recovery phase, and have a pretty comprehensive discussion on on just those. But in, in the meantime, as it pertains to trying to maintain and restore your guard, I, I hope that this is helpful information. You know, the the idea is that you want to counter that incoming force. You don't want to meet force with strength. You know, a, a common mistake that people make is they might not necessarily have matched that force vector directly, but they try to like bench press their way against the force. That's not what you want to do. Like when you're framing against your opponent, you're not trying to use muscle to push them away. That's a losing game if you're the guy in the bottom. You are trying to create a solid structure based on the strong skeletal parts of your body to support your opponent's weight so that you still have options before he collapses you. Now, 
Matt, something that I found helpful, and you tell me if this is uh, if this is something you agree with or not. You know, when when a, my opponent is driving their weight towards me and they're trying to pass my guard, and I you know I frame against them, I block that force vector. I find I normally don't want to stand there, right? I can't just sit there and block that force vector forever because eventually, especially if they're good, they're going to start trying to go around it. So you've kind of got a few options at that point, right? So, okay, I've, I've, I've met your incoming force vector. You know, I framed against you, whatever that leading edge is, I'm blocking it from moving any further. I've only got a second to take action before you're going to figure out how to get, how to defeat me. So one option is I can, you know, I can make space. I can you take advantage of the fact that I've got a frame and I still have have some mobility and I can hip escape and I can try to use that space then to fully restore my guard. That's one option. Another option is I can try to redirect your force vector. Um, this is sometimes doable, sometimes not. It requires a lot of finesse, but instead of just mashing against you and having that, you know, if I can slightly maneuver so that I now have a dominant frame against you, it can force your force vector off balance, right? Like, a, you know, a good example is if my opponent is trying to, you know, drive towards me, um, I, yeah, I can, I can sit there and I can back out and hip escape, but sometimes I can change the angle really quickly and maybe even like get an underhook on the guy like or something. Like a collar drag or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, basically I'm I'm not trying to defeat their, their incoming force. I'm trying to redirect it out of the way. So those are kind of the, the two methods I'm aware of of dealing with that incoming force vector. Once you framed against it, you either hip escape and make that defensive space or you try to redirect their force vector against them. Yeah, and not not stop the force vector but just redirect it so yeah. you can gain a dominant angle. Exactly. Like I think like a, a collar drag is a is a really great example mm-hmm. because it's snappy and it you know you're you your opponent's already usually coming forward on top of you or an arm drag is another example, right? So you, you're not trying to stop your opponent. You're actually trying to keep them in continuous motion and actually accelerate their motion. But in doing so, trying to create a, a dominant yeah. angle. Yeah. And or- once you get that dominant angle, of course, now we can use that hopefully uh, go go around their main frames which are going to be you know arms yeah and a common example from the knee cut pass is if your opponent is trying to knee cut you you can use your your leg to just knee them in the butt and that often shoots them off balance and shoots them forward so it overcommits them and that allows you to get underneath them so Mm -hmm. this kind of strategy of trying to redirect their force vector is super helpful and something that you always want to keep in mind i i find it's more reliable for me than trying to just make space. I find sometimes it, it is very, very hard to hip escape fast enough to recover my guard effectively if the guy is really, really powerful and fast. And, you know, most most good guys are going to be very aggressive about trying to pass guard once they think there's an opportunity. So it can be hard to hip escape fast enough to regard because they're, you're on the bottom, they're on the top. They're going to have that speed advantage. So I find a lot of the time trying to redirect the vector is more of a finesse technique and it works better for me. And I think sometimes there's going to be, uh, you can use like a preemptive lever control that will actually prevent force mm-hmm. vectors. Okay. So if you're a collar drag's a great example of that. Collar drag, yeah, but because you already have a cross collar grip, which actually serves as a very efficient frame in itself. But let's say, you know, you're on bottom side. Uh, about sorry bottom half guard and your opponent's on top looking to cross face you uh if you dominate that arm with a two-on-one like for instance 
as a, instead of going for an underhook, entering the dogfight position from bottom half, I actually, I know that my opponent's not going to usually give up the underhook from the top. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of the time I'll actually focus both my hands on the free arm, which might come in and cross face me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can get a two on one on that arm, it shuts down a lot of my opponent's abilities to attack in the half guard, uh, because he needs that hand to, past my guard he needs that hand to stay in base he needs that hand to leg lock me if he's gonna throw me into some kind of a leg lock entanglement so a lot of the time if i can preemptively control the end of an opponent's lever that might actually serve a good purpose in preventing uh any force vectors from coming my way Got it. So you're saying that in this situation where your opponent is working on a pass, the best opportunity is to already have a dominant gri- a frame like a collar grip. But failing that, if you don't have a dominant frame, then what you want to do is uh, do something like attack that arm that's probably going to come in and cross face you preemptively. Yeah, so- just, just, just lever control, right? Like ev- everything that we do is basically a game of mm-hmm. levers. So if you can be the one to dominate the lever before your opponent starts trying to use that same lever to grab your your head and dominate you you're going to be in good shape so that's why we're always talking about you know it's a game of levers look for the look for a lever to access rather than looking for a specific technique or Mm -hmm. you know looking for a specific move that you're really good at just think about okay where's the lever and how can i control it before he controls me Mm -hmm. and you'll notice that against high level guys too they will fight to get a dominant grip and or a do, you know create basically a dominant frame or a dominant grip and they will maintain that control no matter what you know like a good example is you know once you've got like that collar grip like that dominant cross collar grip a lot of the time like it doesn't matter what happens even if you sweep me or knock me over i'm going to find a way to keep that dominant frame because it's going to help me from any position right you, you know i might be on top attacking you and maybe you sweep me well i'm going to keep that anyway because that's going to pr- make it way harder for you to advance the position so you know it, it, ideally you always want to have some sort of dominant frame to create space so no matter what happens but if you lose it or you're not able to get one then you've got to identify what that leading edge is going to be and then you probably want to create a dominant frame against that and that way you've got some sort of defense against the attack from your opponent yeah all the all the best leg lockers in the world now are also the best grip fighters mm-hmm. uh specifically a guy like Eddie Cummings whose leg locks and leg lock entries and controls are just you know, like a cut above almost everyone else. Uh, and a big part of it is because he studies the engagement phase. He studies the hand fighting uh, battles that go on. He's a master of hand fighting and having that, that dominant grip fighting aspect to his game leads him right into all different types of effective leg entanglement. So that's how he, you know, he, when you see him, some people might think that his style is kind of boring and, and until he gets a, an amazing leg lock or back attack, but it's because he's, he's waiting and he's being very patient for that, that two on one control of the wrist. And then once he gets it, uh, he's basically got you in a situation where, you know, you, you're purely on the defense now until you reset your position. So, um, you know, a lot of the time when we go into jujitsu, if we don't have someone telling us this information, we're not even considering how can we win the grip battle. So it's definitely an aspect that uh, an aspect of jujitsu that will make your guard a lot more effective, not only just in terms of retaining, but a lot more offensive as well. Yeah. So just to cover what we talked about today, uh, first thing that we talked about in terms of mental models was force vectors. So this is the idea that when your opponent is applying pressure towards you, they're going to be coming in from a certain angle 
you need to identify what that angle is and match it and frame against it directly to prevent yourself from being collapsed. We talked about the core mechanics of jujitsu. We had a whole episode on this. I think it was the second episode we did. Basically, we're talking about levers, frames, and wedges. I, I won't belabor the point too much here uh, because we've covered this quite a bit in the past. We talked about solid frames, meaning that when you frame against your opponent, you want to do so with the strong skeletal part of your body and in such a way that it's not easy for your opponent to collapse that frame by manipulating the joints. We talked about limb coiling, the idea being that you generally want to keep your limbs in close to your body and you only want to extend them if there's a good reason to do so and if you can do so without giving up control of that hand or that foot. We talked about controlling the distance. This is basically the whole point of guard, right? You know, you are using your defensive frames to make sure that you can prevent your opponent from closing in against you. We um, yeah, and I just want to mention that controlling the distance, like we we discussed, this this has to do with any form of combat. Mm-hmm. Controlling the distance could be a, in terms of striking arts. Uh, it could be in terms of wrestling. You know, do you are, are you are you within range to land that shot or that throw? Even in terms of self defense or or even police tactics, you know, it's very important to understand at what distance are you safe when you're dealing with uh, a suspect. You know, are you close enough where if they have a knife, they can use it. If they do have a weapon, you need to make space. You need to, you know, you need to, once you make space, you create time for yourself and you create safety. So I just wanted to, to pipe in that controlling the distance is not just something that has to pertain for, uh, pertain to re- retaining guard, but pretty much any combat sport, any combat activity that we have as people, you want to always manage the distance and make sure that you can stay at a safe range. Yeah, and actually it applies to every aspect of jiu-jitsu as well. This is something we could probably talk substantially about at length in future episodes too because it it has implications and strategies that vary from position to position. It really does. Uh, so it's something that I think maybe we might want to do a deep dive into later. We also talked about leading edges. So these are married to force vectors in a lot of ways. The idea being that if your opponent is driving their pressure towards you, you're best off identifying where the breach head is of that pressure and focusing your defensive efforts against that. We talked about defending with purpose, meaning that when you're defending yourself, you should always be choosing your strategies with the intent of escaping or recovering your position, not just sitting there and doing nothing, but hoping you don't get beat up even further. You know, it's always about advanced, recovering the position rather than just staying there. And not just looking for submissions. Yeah, yeah. And not, not, not trying to like for like fluke submissions from the bottom. We talked about committed techniques, meaning that, you know, you're better off using techniques that allow you to advance your position or at least not lose your position again on the note of attacking from disadvantageous positions we talked about the faces of guard probably a significant area of discussion in the future there's the engagement phase mostly talking about grip fighting there's the maintenance phase meaning you've lost the grip battle and now you're trying to prevent your guard from being passed and there's the recovery phase meaning your guard has been passed how do you get it back we talked about overwhelming force, uh, but this is really why guard is so important because you cannot apply overwhelming force in a submission unless you've got your guard. You need to have access to all of your limbs, and that's why it's so important to retain your guard and not just try to get submissions from bad positions. 
And we talked about, about how grips dictate position. So like this ties into the whole thing, but there is a whole area of study when it comes to guard about who wins the grip fight and how to dominate the grip fight. And unfortunately, most people overlook that, but that, that is a very crucial area of guard because it really dictates how the game is going to play out once once someone dict- uh, grabs the dominant grips, so, like really whoever gets those dominant grips is probably going to succeed at everything else they try to do. Yeah. And usually the person who's more frugal and more disciplined in the grip battle, as boring as it might possibly mm-hmm. be, is going to be mm-hmm. the one that is successful. Yeah. The thing about the grip battle is it's often not sexy or even really noticeable when you're, when you're watching. You have to be super duper patient in it, right? You have to be, I think frugal is a good way to describe it because you can't just get greedy and try to reach out and grab things. It's not about getting a grip. It's about winning the grip fight. And there's a whole science to that. Yeah. And, and at the highest level, it's about who doesn't make the, the mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. Perfect. So maybe we can get back to some questions. Um, a question that is a variant of something we were asked prior. We were asked in earlier episodes, how, what are good strategies for a movement based grappler to deal with control based grappler? So basically, how does the, the small fast person beat the big slow person? We also received the opposite question, which was how, <laughs> what is a good strategy for a control based grappler to beat a movement based grappler? Which basically means, <laughs> and maybe I'm not the most qualified person to answer this, but basically means when you're the big strong guy, how do you deal with the small squirmy guy? Um, and that's actually a good question. You know, I, I wish I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm never the big strong guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I have been in some, in some situations I am giving up a bit of, or, you know, I, I have the strength advantage. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, I admittedly have to play a slightly different game. You know, there there are certain things that I can do against a big guy, and I know that because they're big, they the position is going to just be inherently tighter. Like a good example is if you want to go for like, um, I don't know, like an arm triangle or something like that. Or, you know, even if you're not trying to get the submission, even if you're just trying to control their head and arm, I find against a, a smaller person, you're more likely to... To submit them, but against a bigger person, even though you probably aren't going to submit a bigger person with an arm triangle, you can control them really, really well from that position because their head and their arms are just so big they can't pull them out, right? Um, so that, that sometimes, though, I, I find that like when I'm the when I'm the big guy, stuff like that, you know, I, isn't going to work the, the same way. I can't just latch onto a guy and, and hope that he's going to stay there because small guys are so. First of all, if their arms and their head are smaller, it's easier for them to get out behind to your back it's also a lot harder to keep them to prevent them from getting up to their side i find like against a big guy yeah it's really hard to fight them but once i get on top position i know it's going to be really hard for them to be able to get their shoulders off the mat like i can pin them there quite effectively whereas with a little guy sometimes it seems like you know you get them to the floor and then immediately they're on their side and they're out your back this is probably going to be slightly different depending on whether you're talking about gi or no gi but I find in, in, in gi at least, against a movement based grappler, the gi is your friend. Um, you need to take advantage of the fact that you can really stall and slow someone down with solid gi grips. Uh, the cross collar grip is a powerful grip if you're like trying to pass guard on your opponent and they just, they keep moving and they keep shrimping out. Uh, that's a super powerful effective technique. I also like doing the, um, I don't know what it's really called, Matt, but the, you, you know, the one where like you, you untuck your opponent lapel and you like let's say he's on the bottom and like
like half guard or side wrap control. Yeah, you wrap it around his head yeah. and you grab onto it like it's a cross collar oh, grip. grip. I, I don't know what it's called. I call it the paralyzer grip because that's basically the effect it has on your opponent. It, it just completely immobilizes him. So my suggestion in gi at least would be if you're dealing with a small squirmy guy, um, first of all, don't try to match their speed. It's not going to work. You're going to tire yourself out. You need to find a way to slow them down. And the best way to do that is by tying them in knots with their own gi. Like that's, that's the most effective technique. Um, and any other comments, Matt? Yeah. Well, I, I think definitely using the gi to slow someone down is a, is a great strategy. Uh, if, if there isn't a gi, I always think that, um, you know, if you already have the advantage in size and strength, then, uh, you're, you're generally going to be good in terms of maintaining grips because you're, you know, I'm assuming that your hands are going to be able to maintain grips, but, you know, we're, we're, we all have alignment. We all need alignment to do proper jujitsu and to move efficiently. So, uh, a great, uh, piece of advice that I think I could give to a bigger opponent trying to control a movement based opponent, opponent is to, uh, utilize effective two on one lever control. So if you can get like a Kimura control, um, we all, you know, everyone obeys the Kimura control. There's, there's no one out there who gets stuck in a proper, properly, uh, used a properly executed Kimura and can just squirm out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're a bigger person and you know how to apply a a Kimura properly, you know, you get control of the end of the lever and then you get that internal rotation of the shoulder. Um, that's going to be an extremely effective control that will, Mm -hmm. that will lead you to the back, will lead you to submit all types of different options. So, um, two on one controls on levers, I think is a great way to deal with, squirmy people especially in especially in a nogi situation and another another example would be uh to have proper head positioning so understanding where your head should be in pretty much all aspects of grappling and and who's dominating the head position uh that that's gonna really dictate you know if you're if you're bigger can you can you apply effective pressure and and again use a proper leading edge to control someone who's very squirmy uh generally someone that's very squirmy uh, that entails that you haven't effectively broken their posture and, and you haven't dominated the head position. So very important to, to understand how to have your head in the proper position. And of course, another, another reason why someone might be squirming out would mean that you haven't immobilized their body. So the, the mechanism of choice that we use for immobilization of body parts is wedges usually. So, you know, if you're, if you're on top and someone's squirming out of, and, and moving around, you know, you probably haven't broken their alignment by either breaking their posture structure or base, or you haven't created effective wedges around their body, you know? So th- those are a few things that I can say, proper head positioning, using proper wedges to, um, to mobilize their body and effective lever controls, ideally getting internal rotation of the shoulder. Uh, these are going to be all great ways that you can immobilize opponents, big or small, really. But if you're a bigger person, it's going to be even easier because uh, you have the size and strength advantage. Yeah. You know, it's it's important to always – this is going to sound counterintuitive uh, – or not counterintuitive, but maybe contrary to popular opinion. It's important to understand what your strengths are and utilize them and understand what your opponent's strengths are and refuse to play into them. You know, when you're a little guy, everyone always tells you, don't use strength – don't try to match strength with, with strength, right? Like, you know, you, you don't – you're not – you don't want 
want to rely on your strength. You want to rely on on technique. But you know, the thing that, that's kind of funny is no one ever tells the little guy, you know, hey, you're gifted with a speed and agility advantage. Don't use that. It's unfair. No one ever tells them that. For big guys, people always say, oh, you know, don't use your size. Don't use point. your strength. It's, which is kind of BS, right? Like if you have to know what your advantages are, but you also have to know what your opponent's advantages are and refuse to play into those. So when your opponent is speedballing his way around you and running around like a lunatic, like the important thing is not to get pulled into that game. This happens a lot when you're against a stronger guy. It's easy to get lulled into a game of trying to play strength against his strength and you're going to lose that. And it's the same thing if the other guy is trying to turn up the tempo. You need to find a way to turn it back down again. And um, usually that comes down to getting like some sort of dominant lever on the guy. You know, it, dominant grips. Yeah, dominant grips or dominant lever like Matt the Kimura was a great example of something that, that's very effective for big guys. It's also important to think about what kind of moves a little guy is going to use against you and work backwards from there, right? Like if you think about it, if if I'm a little if a little guy is gonna try and sweep me. I know I probably don't have to be worried about like a balloon sweep or a pendulum sweep or something like that because I just, I know that that kind of move that requires him to displace my whole body is not likely to happen. You know, I, I would be more worried about collar drags or jump guillotines or surprise underhook back takes or if I stand up, I would be worried about like tripod sweeps or leg attacks, right? Um, once you know where your opponent is likely to go, if you, I mean, granted, there's, it, there's a time and a place, right? Sometimes you want to go there because you want to work the areas you're weak at. But if you're trying to win, then just understand where your opponent wants to, to take you and just don't go there, right? So understand that a little guy, there are certain techniques a little guy is not going to do to you. They're not going to balloon sweep you over their head and like helicopter armbar you in the air. So understanding that, understand where they will try to go. They're probably going to get, try to get underneath you or behind you and just be mindful of that and don't give them that opportunity. Position your body so that they can't do that. Yep. Cool. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, I hope that was a good chat. Uh, this was an interesting conversation and part of what I, will probably be more in-depth conversations in the future about the philosophy of guard, which I think is just a, I mean, it's the thing that makes jujitsu jujitsu, right? It's like really one of the areas of study that is unique to jujitsu. So much of what jujitsu is, is kind of buried or evolved from other places. And there's so much overlap between all of these grappling arts, but the depth of study when it comes to guard is what makes jujitsu so unique. And that's something that I think we'll probably wind up exploring in future episodes. Um, please do reach out and let us know what other types of content you want us to cover in the future. If this, this kind of stuff digging into the nature of guard is interesting. If so, we can happily do a whole series on it. Um, as always, thanks, Matt, for, for your feedback on this. Thanks to everyone else for their feedback and their questions. Please do keep them coming. Thank you guys. And yeah, keep the questions coming. And if you guys are, uh, if you have any specific mental models that you found has helped you improve in jujitsu or just learning in general or help you do your job better, please feel free to let us know and uh, we'd love to talk about it. Yeah, I'm also happy to put them up and document them on the website if it's something that you think is really universal. Uh, we've taken a lot of feedback from listeners and use that to build up and bolster the content on the website. And for those who don't know, when we list off and talk about all of these mental models on the show in the podcast show notes i actually link to the ones that we've talked about and there's like a full write-up explaining everyone on our website so just go into the show notes and you'll see links that are going to take you to full write-ups if you want to explore any of these ideas in deeper conversation and thanks for always as always for your support guys yep thanks a lot guys take care